Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 205, How to Move Forward Without Ignoring the Past. Yeah, guys, welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast, where we talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. We're coming at you from the lovely WCSG radio studio in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I have alongside me my husband and favorite licensed therapist, Matt Krieg. Hello. Hey, Matt. And I also have with me, we have with us our friend and the most professional <laughs> radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi, guys. Hey, Steve. Welcome today. Guys, we are so excited to dive into the conversation today about how we can move forward without ignoring or negating our past. I think it's, we've talked about this on a recent episode, how I can get... I could get stuck in the feels and the trauma, and then you guys can just ignore it and then just barrel through. And so I'm really excited to have someone sort through our issues uh, with, and who, who better to do it than author, teacher, and multi-ministry founder, Christine Kane. Chris, welcome. Laurie, how you doing? You guys are looking awesome in that studio. Thank you. I know we have, we're not the, the toddlers that we were the last time you were here. We've grown up. We're going to school. We're at CSG. <laughs> oh, man. But Steve, you're going to help us for yes. those. She really needs no introduction. But for those who don't right. know who Chris is, can you help us understand some of her bio? Yes. Well, first, she's my sister's hero. We talked about that uh, a little early before we the started The other rolling. professional radio that, voice, your sister. They are, right. Chris, they're yeah. co-hosts on the afternoon radio show here yeah. at WCSG. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, Christine is a speaker, activist, and best-selling author. She and her husband, Nick, founded the A21 Campaign, an anti-human trafficking organization. They also founded Propel Women, an initiative that is dedicated to coming alongside women uh, all over the globe to activate their God-given purpose. Uh, Chris is the author of many incredible books, including uh, the one we're going to look at today, Don't Look Back, Getting Unstuck and Moving Forward with Passion and Purpose. And she's a re recent graduate of Wheaton Graduate School. The Harvard of... <laughs> yes. <laughs> that I'm going because you it's your brainchild. So thanks for that as well. I love that. I think 150 women have gone through that master's program. It's fantastic. That's incredible. I'm also going to link to that in the show notes if you guys are interested in this program that uh, Chris did and that I'm almost done with. But Matt, we've got a question of the week mm -hmm. for Poor Christine Kane. Yes. <laughs> you have to join our insanity. Yes, we do want to get to know Chris a little better and some of our listeners. And so we're going to go to the question of the week from last time, which is, what are you kind of dumb at? And just kind of accepting it at this point. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, go for it. No, you go. <laughs> you can go first. Well, we talked about this on the end of the last episode, but for example, I'm really dumb at groceries shopping in general. I can't tell the difference between a dragon fruit and a mango or I'm stressed even saying leeks. the words leeks or onions. <laughs> so if you send me to the store, I'm going to come home with something dangerous and wrong. <laughs> How about you, Chris? What are you bad at? Hey, mine is on the eve of my big fat Greek wedding three coming out. I am traumatized that I got and I'm getting increasingly wrong the difference between Bulgarian feta and Greek feta cheese. Now, that is a very big faux pas for a Greek <gasps> woman. So anyway, I just thought like I got it wrong and my aunt was dead 
devastating. You would have thought if there was a cardinal sin that I have committed it. So for a Greek, <laughs> it is very important to decipher between Greek and Bulgarian feta. <laughs> All the Greeks are either shaming you or yes, clapping. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I appreciated this one um, from Sarah. And uh, this, you guys, we don't have any voiceovers this time. I'm so sad. But Sarah, as well as my friend Stephanie and Tamara on Facebook, if you guys want to answer the question of the week from last time, you got to friend me on Facebook or on Instagram. And I will <laughs> put out these random questions. But you guys are funny. You do not disappoint with all your answers <laughs> to the question of the week. But a few of you, I can relate to this as well, is plants. You are dumb at indoor plants you either weigh water too much or too little uh sarah said i cannot water them the right amount too much or too little and i'm just doing something else wrong and i don't even know so the only plants allowed in my house now are fake or cut flowers that have already met their demise mm. <laughs> what about you steve i appreciated what uh nikki austin 1202 said on instagram spatial awareness <laughs> Could not show you what is an inch or a foot without a measuring device. <laughs> I, I get that. The eyeballing things like how tall is that building? I'm a hundred feet. I don't know. A thousand yards. I, I really have no idea. <laughs> so that one Godzilla. <laughs> right, right. And then you got to add, add in the metric system. Oh boy. Are you good at that? Yeah, I'm Aussie. So we still do meters and kilometers and you Americans are like miles and inches. And so it is like, and feet, I'm like feet are what's on the bottom of your leg. But no, no, not when it comes to America. It is very humorous. <laughs> we what about are you, very Matt? weird. I really liked what Dawn had to say on Facebook. She said, shuffling playing cards. I'm just terrible at it. I make my uh -huh. husband or brother-in-law do it for me. And I definitely feel that because my sausage fingers and... <laughs> Shuffling playing cards are not mm. not coherent, I guess. <laughs> Cohesive. All right. Well, there's more uh, where that came from. Join the Hole in My Heart podcast Facebook group. Search it and you guys can see all the funny answers. But now we're going to pivot to you, Chris. Uh, we asked you this the last time that you were on the show with us, which, guys, I will link to that in the show notes, too. But we want to hear it again. For those who are new to your content or new to this podcast, this is the question we ask every guest. If the gospel is we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. How was that gospel first good news for you? And how is it still today? I love that question because it, it just doesn't change in that the fact that um, there was a God in heaven that truly did love me despite my flaws. I grew up in a religious system, so I was very scared of God, uh, a very traditional Greek Orthodox culture. And um, I thought God hated me um, mm. because I just was so bad, you know, and in so many ways. Um, and I came from a background of abuse and abandonment and rejection and adoption. So shame was my best friend. And I truly thought there is something wrong with me. How could a God love me? On top of that, apart from what happened to me, I had made so many wrong choices in my own life, um, mm. relational choices, pat, pat, developed so many patterns of destructive behavior. In many ways, I thought, and coming from a very orthodox background, I had committed the unforgivable sin. Not that I really knew what that was, but I assumed whatever mm. I was doing was the unforgivable sin. Right. So I thought, how could God love me? But there was a moment. And again, this is the supernatural moment 
where I truly, I don't know how else to explain it. I mean, someone listening to this is going to think, you know, is she rational? Something supernatural happened where I can honestly say something went deep into my heart that that flooded me. I, you know, I don't know what word to use, a presence. It was, it flooded my heart in an instant, although nothing externally had changed in my life at that moment. Mm. I just knew that I knew that I knew that God loved me, God forgave me, God accepted me, and God wanted me. Mm. That was the beginning of my healing journey. So that that's the difference that it made. And can I just say, it doesn't change. I'm 35 years on now, and it is when I feel most loved by God that I'm most willing to allow him to go into dark places to bring transformation and healing mm. into my life. That pattern still exists at 57 years old, 35 years later. That is beautiful. Yeah. And I know we're all re relating here. Very much. Uh, you write in your book about, uh, you know, people who can, they, we get stuck. Uh, how do you see people, you know, getting stuck in the past these days? And, and I mean, maybe including yourself in that, I don't know if, if that's something you relate with as well, but how, where, where are you seeing that in people? Yeah, sure. And I think it's like, like, I've always talked about this to a degree, obviously coming from a background of you know, abandonment and adoption and abuse. I, I, there, there are many ways in your soul realm, you know, I'm sure we'll get to down the track that, and of course this whole podcast exists for this, that we can get mm. stuck um, mm. because of things that have happened to us. But where it really, uh, really hit me was kind of during COVID, post-COVID. So here we are, you know, 2020, 21, 22, we're recording this in 2023. And I, I do a lot of traveling and teaching all around the world. And it didn't matter what country I went to. This is what uh, really started to impact me. I would hear people say to me, now, any realm of life. So we're not just talking about emotional healing now. We're talking about jobs and life and just life. People would use the phrase constantly, well, Christine, no matter what I said, like house, let's just say house church. Well, before COVID, right. either our numbers were or our people were or our small groups or people would say to me, I'd go like, how are you doing? Well, before COVID, school was this or the, okay. So there was a time when like, when time was cut BC, AD, meaning before Christ and Domini. But in the last three years, it's <laughs> like we've re reframed that. It's now before COVID, after COVID. And I, for a minute, started to laugh. I thought, well, I thought, Jesus split time, not COVID. And that <laughs> then after I sort of was humorous, I thought, actually, this is problematic on a lot of levels now because truly it's getting into people that they're defining life rather than by the cross and what Jesus did. Um, across every realm of life, we're starting to go, okay, there is a before and after and COVID is defining that. I'm not specifically speaking about that, but all that that represents in the world right. shutting down um, the disruption to life and then the corresponding things that happened in the world, the racial injustice, the political instability, the wars, the famine, the, all the things that are happening in the world. So, And I realised, oh, my word, this is really dangerous right now because um, people are not picking up a gear again going, okay, we are post that. Um, in, in every realm of life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, uh, politically. I mean, you know, of course, I'm talking globally now, not just what's happening in North America, but life has moved on. We're in 2023 and I'm having conversations with people like we're still in 2019 um, mm -hmm. in most realms of life. And I thought this is problematic because people are now stuck. Uh, and, and 
stuck in either what 2020 represented or didn't represent it and the disappointment and the disillusionment and the discouragement, um, the betrayals, uh, the indifference, the apathy, uh, the excuse <laughs> that it provided to be able to just tap out of life and just, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that's un not unlike some of the journey I've had to walk to get free from the things emotionally that happened to me and physically in my past. Um, it, it's almost like in the earth today, people are stuck in those places, uh, even if abuse isn't their story or, you know, some other kind of major trauma. This other trauma has now caused a lot of people to be stuck that otherwise would never have thought they were stuck because they would have said, oh, no, I was never abused or I was never this or I was never that. And suddenly it's like the, the playing field's leveled. And mm. everyone that I spoke to, across, I'm talking on every continent, in some way, shape or form, was not moving forward, that they had become literally like stuck, fixated, uh, you know, calcified where they were either in an emotion or a state prior to 2020. Wow. Mm. So from a societal standpoint, it could be COVID. From a personal standpoint, it could be abuse or job loss or divorce or, or some other, um, you know, very disruptive um kind of thing that people experience. Um, you, you talk about kind of the theme throughout your book of Lot's wife and how does, how does her kind of story in the Bible relate to some of what we're talking about here, becoming stuck? I love that. And I, I you know, let me say up front, I, I don't, I love Lot's wife and <laughs> um, I'm probably Lot's wife and we're all Lot's wife. I don't want people to think like, you know, don't uh, kind of, you know, ditch Lot's wife. But here is the deal that and what struck me was when I was reading Luke and Jesus was, you know, having this eschatological discourse about, you know, the end. And I, and at, the, at that time, it felt a little bit like that because uh, there was COVID and there was, you know, remember there was like, um, there was different kind of locusts and plagues happening yeah. around the world. And honestly, I'm thinking like, are we in Exodus? What's next? Is it going to be that? It felt a little bit like oh, that. Yeah. There was natural disasters. And, you know, I'm not an end-time conspiracist, but I'm like, listen, I might be able to go down this rabbit hole with what's happening in the world. There is just so <laughs> much instability. Uh, you know, I'm a little bit wired up like that. But it did strike me that in the midst of all that discourse, Jesus just threw those three little words, you know, second shortest scripture in the Bible, just remember Lot's wife. Of course, then I've been so involved in women's ministry all my life. I've spoken on so many women, so many teachers have, um, and realizing I'd never heard a message really specifically on Lot's wife and 170 women are referred to in scripture in some way, shape or form or alluded to. And Jesus only tells us to remember one very specifically, remember Lot's wife. It made me, of course, then go back to Genesis 19, which was, you know, uh, it could be a, a triggering chapter for a lot of people because there's mm. just so much, so much going mm -hmm. on there. Um, and I was wondering, Lord, what is it? At first, I'm thinking, was there some deeper level of healing that needed to happen in me? Because, you know, I'm going, why am I revisiting some of these things? And it, it's a, a deeply problematic it's a deeply challenging chapter yeah. and so but the deal is when it gets right down to it about what is the only thing ultimately we know about Lot's wife is that during that time um Sodom and Gomorrah was burning and the angel of the Lord came to rescue her you know their two daughters and Lot uh the the one instruction was don't look back 
And then, um, you know, the phrase we have is, but Lot's wife looked back and turned mm. into a pillar of salt. Now we can unpack why and how and what that meant. But when I really looked into that phrase, look back, because I'm thinking, Lord, what, what can that be? Because so much, even of my life in ministry, is really built upon making sure that, um, you know, that we're, we're, we're facing our past, which means to face your past, you've got to look back at your past to see mm. what's, why what's happening. And really unpacking that word of what is inherent in that is that she was longing for what was, lingering back into, you know, wanting to go back, fixating on what was, which made me realize there is a very big difference between, you know, facing your past and fixating on your past. And if you fixate for too long, um, you can end up getting stuck, which is what she did. I don't think the challenge was everything she knew, life as she knew it was burning down. Like, of course, it, literally, uh, it was burning down. Who wouldn't look back? I mean, I don't know. Did she renovate a kitchen? Her family and friends were still back there. There's, you know, there's a, a number of reasons we all look back. And and with the disruption of the last few years and the instability of the last few years, who isn't glancing back at, wow, how things used to be or, you know, whatever that might mean, mm -hmm. but fixating on it with a desire to want to go back is very different to facing your past in order to move forward. And I think that is really what I'm trying to get to here. We're fixating on what we should be facing and not fixating with the intention of gaining healing in order to step into the promises of God. Because for Lot's wife, the promise was in her future. God was delivering them. So her freedom was in the future. The purpose of God was in her future. The promises of God. Now for us, of course, New Covenant Christians, all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus. Yes and amen. So even though we've had a disruptive few years, if the promise is in Christ Jesus, actually nothing's changed. The promise of God still prevails. The purpose of God still prevails. Although everything may be different around us, if the promises of God are in Christ Jesus, yes and amen, it hasn't changed ultimately. Mm. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So we, instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus moving forward, if we fixate on our past, we're going to get stuck there and then miss out on the healing and the promise and the purpose of God that he's got for us in the future. And I'm kind of wanting to help people go, there's still, that no one is diminishing or denying or dismissing the pain or the suffering or the grief or the heartache or the loss or, or the disappointment or the disillusionment that many of us, all of us in some way, shape or form have gone through. But at some point, fixating to stay is very different to facing to heal, to move forward. And I think Jesus is inviting us to move forward into his promise and purpose. How can we know when that timing is? Uh, you talk about Lot's wife. You talk about uh, Samuel, the prophet Samuel, grieving over Saul when he died. Like, how can we know if this is grieving time or if this is move on time? How can we know if we're fixating or facing? Yeah, I think, Laurie, that's a great question because... Um, the fact is, fact is that we have to lament. And, you know, I, I, during a lot of 20, 2020, 2021, 2022, even a lot of the ministry that I did, all the IG lives were lamenting, acknowledging what was going on. And to have moved on in that time would have been, I think, premature. Um, again, when you say how, um, 
I think a lot of this is determined by the leading of the Holy Spirit. All of us, if we're born again, you know, the Bible says that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. So Mm -hmm. there is, by being in the word and sitting in the presence of God, I think there is a sense that if we're truly sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, you sort of start to know because it comes up in scripture constantly. You're hearing it in sermons. You're listening to it in a podcast. Like somebody's listening to this right now. <laughs> that, may, that may, right? This is your word. You're like, what is my word? Here it is right now. <laughs> and you just know because pretty much anything you're turning on, there is this nudging. I think that's the best way to do it. And I think, of course, uh, in our hearts, we're, we're all sensitive to the voice of the spirit in, a, in our unique way, you know. Um, but I, God cares so much about us um, and too much to leave us where we are forever. Obviously, there's a there's change and transformation going forward. I am always a little bit hesitant to go, well, you here's the time frame and this is how long it should be because the truth is we're all wired up differently mm-hmm. and it is different for each and every one. I think in the past perhaps a little bit of insensitivity is what cause, it causes people now a resistance to kind of, I don't want to hear about moving on because, you know, for for some people what that triggers is, well, you're just telling me to deny what's going on. You're just telling me to dismiss it. You're telling me that it's not real. I'm not saying any of those things, but I am saying that um, as someone that has walked through a lot of trauma in my life, and I'm 57 at this point, I've been walking with Jesus for 35 years. Um, I, I have been in bondage and I have walked by the grace of God in freedom and I know the difference. And um, I want people to know freedom. So at some point, though, there has to be a decision. You you have to, and and I think there is for everyone, and not just one. I mean, it is a continual deciding. I mean, I'm in one in my own life right at this moment at 57 of just uh, deciding moment in a certain relationship. It's just been deeply painful, hmm. um, a, a fracture there. But it's like, you know what, Christine, you've lingered here. <laughs> It's been a year of just, you know, kind of longing for what was, rehashing for what was, uh, reading over texts for, you know, <laughs> how many more months are you going to keep doing this? It's I'm, I'm in now. I know that it's crossing to the line with how long will you mourn for Saul, Christine? Um, I It's time to move on. I'm not saying it gets easier. I'm just saying you have to continually make the decision at some point. That's good. And would you say that the same principle applies or like, what would you say to somebody who, what, what they're processing is maybe a a mistake or a sinful choice, uh, that they made in the past and they feel like they have to kind of stay there to like pay or do penance or, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to like learn from it. And so they're, they're stuck there. What would you say to that person who's there? I love that question because that is the most difficult thing for me personally to move on mm. from. And um, I think part of that is I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, high loyalist, so if I <laughs> perceive I've failed myself or my own standards or, you know, what I've taught others to do and I haven't done, that can send me in a uh, shame spiral greater than anything else that keeps me uh, absolutely locked. I think my husband will testify that to you. Uh, that and, and I'm probably harder on myself than I need to be, but I, I'm so hypersensitive to that i'm sure there's a lot of reasons i'm a bit scared to ask matt why you might think i've got that but it's like um, (laughs) but there is definitely it is my biggest thing and so i know there are people listening to this it's like um sometimes 
it's easier to move on from what someone has done to you rather than what you have done uh, yep. and hmm. your own volition. Um, and I get it. That, that's my number one, hands down. Again, um, you know, I had to walk through that, I think, in 2016, 2017, uh, in a big way in my own life. It was, the, I don't have a quick fix um, because we're talking about the, the the same thing, but you have to come to a place. There was a place when finally, um, and my good Greek Orthodox guilt, shame and condemnation and penance uh, was working overtime. <laughs> you put that into where we are in 2023 in our cancel culture, it's 10 times worse because oh, yeah. not only am I beating myself up and living in that shame, but um, then, and if you've got any kind of public role, there is definitely a whole lot of other people that are going to heap on that um, it is very hard to go to the cross and believe that Jesus has cancelled your sin and to walk in repentance and the freedom that that brings when you very publicly are being cancelled <laughs> in a cancel culture. Um, I, I think that's something we're going to have to all look at um, as believers because it is accountability is highly important. Uh, responsibility is highly important. Restitution is absolutely crucial. There needs to be, though, a place for forgiveness and moving on. It's the gospel message. We're living in a time and a moment where a lot of those things are being intertwined. And so people are increasingly feeling, I can't move forward because even if in my heart I've done everything I know to do biblically, uh, you know, between people, if I've done everything I know to do to make everything right, I've repented, I've made changes, it's obvious but the cancel culture is not allowing me to move forward. Mm. This is going to be one of the greatest challenges that I think we are going to have to face in the next few years. And what are we going to do when a whole lot of people that maybe even publicly have said things and done things or and want to come back? Are we going to be gracious enough? Are we going to be mature enough? Are we going to have pipelines and pathways for people to be able to find grace and favor and be restored to community? I mean, of course, again, I'm saying with accountability, with repentance, of course. Mm -hmm. But once you tick all those boxes, what is the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, is this mm -hmm. not our message for a world? Right. And we're currently in a cultural moment where I think a lot of people do want to move on, but because of cancel culture, all the mental torment of going for the term of my natural life, am I never going to be able to move forward because no one is giving me any room to move forward and especially those that profess to know Jesus who are, again, um, you know, recipients of the grace of, that's found at the cross where we're all equal, I think all of us need to go back to a little bit of Christianity 101, yeah. of what, what the cross is, what redemption is, what forgiveness is, and to prioritise that Jesus cancelled our sin and blame on the cross. Therefore, we don't get to cancel um, other people mm. as well as, of course, and I, I have to keep saying this because otherwise people will misquote me, of course, I recognize the need for ownership, repentance, restitution, right. doing everything right. But there's got to be a way forward. I think a lot of people are stuck right now in cancel culture because they know maybe they've done things wrong, said things wrong, whatever might be, um, and don't think that there's a way forward. That in itself 
I think messes with your mental health. The conversations I'm having behind the scenes actually tend to be more about that than anything. People are like, mm. can I ever, Christine, in my life on this earth, move forward? Is there a way back for me? And I'm like, man, once we used to pro proclaim that good news, but I find that even when I'm speaking and teaching, I have to so qualify that not to be mistaken that the person that most needs to hear about yeah. the love and redemption of God can't hear it because I've got to put 28 disclaimers around it. I, I, I mm. mean, I don't know, I'm probably putting this back on the podcast, but I think that's a conversation moving mm -hmm. forward that is really worth unpacking for those of us that truly believe that we are saved by grace through faith mm -hmm. <laughs> at the cross of Christ. I think it's a time, it's somewhere we've got to start having this conversation again, coming out of what we've walked through in the last mm. few years. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think it's it's very interesting to hear kind of the social piece, and and I'm filtering it through my work with clients. And um, there, you've said the word repentance multiple times, which is as I've always heard, repentance is like the choice to to change and to move in a different direction. Um, and it's funny how both the obsession about the past, about mistakes, about what has happened, as well as the avoidance and the repression. Mm -hmm of what has happened are, are two tactics that allow us to remain the same and they become things that enable just a continued behavior. Whereas true repentance is the acknowledgement of what has happened, but also the choice to move forward differently, which is, is just something that yes, is very necessary when you're dealing with personal trauma. Like there is nothing that anyone can say or do that makes the, the, the past go away. You know, and, and that is not the goal of therapy, but the goal is to be able to look at what happened and to say, I'm going to live differently and I'm going to live like that doesn't define me and show me my value, you know? And so this whole idea of, of repentance in order to move forward, you know, is just, is something that is, is really exciting for me. And I'm kind of just throwing around think, in my head. Well, I think if it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, um, I think often we just trivialize that to, okay, I'm going to modify my behavior. But there's a deep, obviously, the Greek word metanoia, a change of mind. And, a ch yeah. uh, and I think in my whole healing journey, it has been ongoing metanoia, uh, mm -hmm. ongoing renewing, which is the only thing that actually helps you to move forward in life. Um, you know, um, being deeply sorry for something you've done wrong, said wrong, that, that's of course got a place and that I'm, I'm putting practices into uh, my life to ensure that I don't go down that place. But a deep re renewing of your mind, which causes transformation, that's metanoia. <laughs> and I think that's what we need more than anything um, in this moment. Uh, it's just not confusing or simplifying just repentance with you did this bad thing don't do that bad thing anymore like that, that's kind of like correcting behavior in our children and saying oh okay i need to change that but a deeper to in order to move on from trauma and pain the blood of jesus does not give us amnesia but it does give us a life beyond our past and i think that's where it allows the beginning of renewing of your mind that helps you to move from where you were to where god wants to take you mm. matt you said repression and obsession obsession keep us stuck so i remember when i was starting to follow jesus for realsies in my young 20s chris i i remember it feeling like i was gonna jump out of an airplane to live a new life in christ and i didn't know if i had a parachute on 
I, I think that there's an element of fear and we're all allergic to fear right now. Perhaps we can look to 2020, but why does neither a repression or obsession, if we're saying, nope, I'm going to jump out of the airplane, I don't know if I have a parachute, why does it feel so scary? Well, <laughs> because it is. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm just thinking because I'm, I'm living this in real time, even now. So huh. 35 years of following Jesus do I know that God is faithful? Yes. Uh, you know, I can know that parachute is strapped onto me. Mm. I know that I can have pulled that cord a thousand times. But here is the bottom line. is the, Now, of course, with God, he's always going to be there. But but do I know how? I don't know how this is going to turn out. Right. So right. the way he's going to be there is I'm going to splatter on the ground and he's going to go, this is how you're going to move forward. Like, I don't know. So you've still got the thing is, that cord, I hope this parachute goes again. I think that's the faith. Uh, we wouldn't be in faith otherwise. There mm. has to always be this faith component, and it, it happens every time you jump out of the uh, aeroplane. I'm going to pull this cord. God, I know you're going to show up. I'm just not sure how you're going to show up. I'm not sure if we're going to have like a, a nice landing with this parachute <laughs> or I'm going to land in some trees and we're going to work this thing out. Like I know I'm not going to die, but I also know you enough that not every landing is a smooth landing, <laughs> right? Like, you know, and I think I, I was I was laughing with the Lord like this week over it, going, really, you would think right now <laughs> that I would be okay with with doing this, but here we go again because I'm not quite sure. Right. I know I'm going to be okay, but I just don't quite, uh, you know, know how the how mm. thing, and especially if you've come through a background like anything like any of ours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've been abused. I was left in a hospital unnamed and unwanted. I was uh, adopted and didn't even find out till I was 33. So, you know, 33 years of thinking people are your biological parents. That so lying. Trust is not a big thing for me. <laughs> it's not. And 35 years of walking with Jesus, it's trust is not my default. It's not where I instantly go. I'm also Greek. So we're fatalists. If anything can go wrong, it will. And if everything's bad, it'll get worse. You know, you're gonna very- get the Bulgarian cheese. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you know, I'm people sometimes go, Chris, your personality, man, you, it's you're just positive and you just trust and it comes easy. And I feel like laughing, going, Are you kidding me? With my <laughs> background, that it is anything but easy. And if I am not in the word every day. And making a decision every day and renewing my mind. And I think God has done this because of my personality to make sure I stay utterly dependent on him for yeah. all of my life on this earth. Because otherwise I may have relied too much on my gift or talent or momentum of ministry or just what I do that I would just do it in my own strength. But when I say to people, I'm in the word and renewing my mind, it is not hype. It is not some religious ritual. It's not just like tick a box. It is survival for me to this day. And I've often wondered, like, why isn't it easier for me? <laughs> like, why can I not just like, you know, when I'm writing, what I'm writing in this book, I'm telling people I practice this all the time. It's not like I'm saying to you at 57 years old after by God's grace, a very fruitful ministry life, not perfect, but fruitful ministry life, um, I could kind of cruise into eternity, you know, don't do any of the big sins and just cruise into eternity. I'm going to be Okay where I'm still like pretty much on my face every day going, Jesus, can we make it today? Um, I have strength, I have faith, I have confidence in the word, but I am utterly dependent 
on Jesus as my lifeline mm. as much today as I was having to make these decisions at 22. In so, not in every area, but I promise you at all times, at least in one major area where God goes, okay, we're going on a faith trust journey here, Christine. And, um, you know, as recently as yesterday morning in my prayer time, I'm like, could I not have three days of just no faith journey anywhere? And just like, it's just like it would be really nice. I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> Uh, I wanted I wanted to ask this question, and you may have just answered this question actually, like because you talk about you know wrestling with this idea of being an illegitimate child, and can like you share with us like how you were able to like process that in a healthy way and move forward? That's good. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. You know, I never wrote about um, I've never written about that or hearing my biological mother's voice and not you know her not wanting me. So that whole process of when I saw on my birth certificate. I mean, the fact unnamed 2508 and especially in I'm 57. So in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, that phrase illegitimate child is like, you know, thrown around um, to and I but to be honest, actually that name or that phrase named something that I was feeling that I possibly would not otherwise have been able to name, that I did feel illegitimate, like like a fraud. And I think even in my early days, even as a Christian and a like I, I and put some of that of Greek Orthodox works-based, you know, sort of faith. Um I I'm, I mustn't be a real Christian. I'm not really a, I, I'm not good enough because, you know, add to that, my parents never told me I was adopted. Like I, I I'm not a real daughter. I'm not a real this. I'm not a real that. So that sort of, I'm not. And then I grew up immigrant in Australia, very ostracized and marginalized out of Australian mm. culture for being Greek. So I think in every context I ever walked in, from my home to school to society, um, and then moving from an ortho Greek Orthodox into Protestant faith where they didn't know what to do with me. I mean, that was as, as foreign to me as anything else. Mm it's probably a good word. I always felt illegitimate, um, always. And then, you know, I come from Australia to America, from a more Pentecostal into an evangelical world. I'm like, I, I never felt anywhere that yeah. I legitimately, what I I think, again, um, I, I wouldn't have said it in the 30 years leading up, maybe it's age and maturity. I think God never allowed me to do it to force me to have to go into his word consistently um, to find my legitimacy in Christ, in who I was in Christ. So the reason our ministry, whether it's from setting uh, the victims of human trafficking free and seeing them restored or seeing women kind of step into their God-given purpose and being set free or just evangelism, gospel presentation, seeing people go from light to darkness, um, it is all about people finding their identity in Christ, people understanding that, you know, no matter what you've done, um, that you in Christ would become legitimate sons and daughters. I have none of that is a theological concept that I went to seminary to have to learn. I have walked this in the trenches, um, bleeding, and it, it, every day of my 35 years. And as recently as even, you know, Laurie and I were talking about me going to Wheaton. I mean, to even expose myself to that at my stage of ministry at the time I was like you know I think 52 mm -hmm. uh, with a, a global ministry and one that was very fruitful across many different spheres to go okay I'm coming into a world 
in which I wouldn't be viewed legitimate given my uh, just even being who I am and what, what my ministry is mm. um, and choosing to go be, in obedience to Christ. I'm in this world and being there was as much about my formation than any information that I was learning. Right. Um, it was more about God going, we're going to go deeper into the fact that you are a legitimate daughter, um, regardless of whether you're from an evangelical world or a Pentecostal world or you're Greek or, you know, whatever it might be, um, it meant I had to dig at a whole deeper level of, okay, I am a daughter of the king, even if I'm in an environment where some people might really be wondering um, if I am. And just so I think when you're talking about that, it's an ongoing journey, depending on how deep we want that to be uh, embedded into the marrow of our bones. So the deeper I wanted to go from my head. So do I understand it theologically now? Absolutely. Do I believe it? Yes. Am I willing to put myself in some situations where I'm going to have to live it mm-hmm. um, and become stronger so that then when I go into some of the parts of the world that I go into, Qatar or Pakistan or some I can look someone in the eye that would feel like the most illegitimate, the most unqualified, the, and I, our, our victims of human trafficking that have rescued, and I can look deep into their soul and go, I know that I know that I know that this is true. This is not just a theological concept. Jesus Christ, in him you can find wholeness and healing and legitimacy. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, my orthodoxy and my orthopraxy in Christ, he makes me walk every step of it out. Oh, that's good. Yeah, thank you. So obviously, like, you talked about jumping out of the airplane, Christine, you you talk about the, the journey that you've been on, that, that Christ has taken you places that, that are just beyond what you could do on your own, and that's scary. That That is kind of this journey of faith that he's called all of us to, is to come to an end of ourselves and, and to find our, our rest and our life in him. Um, but what would you say to someone who is maybe wrestling with that fear right now of stepping into that adventure, that journey with Jesus? Yeah, I think um, the fact is, it's like we have to remember now there's a reason um, Paul wrote, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. I think a lot of people on the edge, and and I think over the last three years, what has been, we have a very real enemy. And I think what has been unleashed on the earth is what scripture would call a spirit of fear. Fear paralyzes us, fear cripples us. And the reason God has not given us a spirit of fear <laughs> is so that we can actually do what he's called us to do, because it's more than anything else. It is fear that holds us back from doing that for a number of reasons. So what God has given us is love, power, and a sound mind. And I think sometimes you've got to remind yourself um, that love, perfect love is what casts out all fear. So God loves me perfectly. God is for me. God is good. Psalm 119, 68 says God is good and God does good. So what I'm stepping out on is not a trust in my own ability or a trust that I could do it because I've got good news for you. You can't. <laughs> if it's a if it's a God purpose, uh, it's supernatural. If you could do it in your own strength, you don't need God. So there you go. That's easy. Do whatever you could do in your own strength. But to, to truly be fruitful in a way that requires God, you're go- 
every single time, 100% of the time, you're going to have to cross that threshold of fear. It, it's not going to change. It just, <laughs> it gets bigger. The stakes just get higher, but it's, I'm, I'm crossing it every day. I would say to that person, trust what you do know about God more than what you do not know about the future. So oftentimes we freak out because we're like, how's this going to work out and where this, and, and we do all the what ifs, you know, what if, what if I fail? What if this, what if that, what if, you know, trust what you do know about God. You know that God is good and that God does good. You know that God loves you. You know that God will never leave you nor forsake you. You know that God is, you know, so you know these things. So you trust, I know this about God and I'm going to elevate that above what I do not know about the future. And no matter if there are mockers or naysayers or people that might misunderstand me or misrepresent me, because that the fear of that in our cancel culture is very big. You say, you know what? I am going to make what Jesus did for me bigger than what anyone says about me, bigger than what anyone else did to me. I'm going to elevate what Jesus did. So I would say in order Ultimately, the only thing that's going to make you jump out of that aeroplane um, <laughs> is just you absolutely know I'm not trusting my ability to pull the cord. I'm not even trusting anyone's ability to pack my parachute. I'm trusting the fact that God can transcend all of that and that he is the one that is going to hold me no matter what is going on. And um, that is the faith journey. We walk by faith and not by sight. We live in a very rational culture that wants to see, taste, touch, smell, feel everything in order for it to be real. Uh, but true faith and the faith without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if I truly want to please God, I'm going to have to walk by faith and not by sight. And at every juncture, and before every major transition in our life, before every major moving forward, it's like the children of Israel, they had to step into the River Jordan before mm. the River Jordan got pushed back. And most of us, we want a parting of a Red Sea before we're going to walk in. What we're mostly going to encounter is you start stepping in the River Jordan, then it's going to start moving back. We always wish it was the other way around. <laughs> All right, Chris, I'm ready to do some laps around the studio right now. I'm feeling pumped. I'm feeling pumped. This was the conversation I needed today. This is a conversation I hope and pray and believe that our audience needed to hear today. So thank you for being a part of uh, this podcast and really um, naming what's true and doing what we hope to set out to do. We're not negating the past, but looking forward to what's coming ahead with faith and courage. So thank you. Thank you. And I am so appreciative of what you guys are doing. Um, and I'm believing, God, that so many people are going to find healing and move forward. It's hard to believe that when you're in the middle of it. But let me just say, as an older sister, for some of you listening to this, I could be your mother, I know, in Christ, mm -hmm. so like as a spiritually. Um, 35 years on, uh, I found Jesus to be faithful. And what he has for us um, is greater than anything behind us but the degree to which we're willing to embrace the pain of recovery is the degree to which we will recover and find freedom and healing so it's worth it and man guys we will link to don't look back getting unstuck and moving forward with passion and purpose as well as the last episode that we did with chris uh and that propel program that i am a part of in conjunction with wheaton but as we are doing this in season seven i'd love a little one minute reflection, Matt, what stood out to you from the conversation we just had with Chris? Yeah, I think the bravery that is needed mm. to to really kind of take that leap of faith to to do 
to trust God with our lives and with our story and, and that it's, it's always going to be fearful, mm. but we can take courage knowing God is for us. Yeah. What about you, Steve? Uh, well, I was just really struck uh, by what she kind of started out with giving context this last three yes. years. And I, I mean, like literally yesterday, I was a part of a conversation uh, here in the workplace, uh, just kind of catching up with somebody. And she said, you know, like where this time that we've just gone through is like in the Marvel movies when Thanos snapped and yeah. people evaporated and then they came back and it was like they referred to it as the blip. Mm. Like we've come back from this blip, like this real thing, not a fictional thing, but like a real thing that's happened and we're just kind of like waking up to it. So anyway, right. that just kind of confirmed that, you know, that we're all in this kind of like cultural place right now. I agree. That stood out to me too. Just the like, the cancel culture is not exclusive to people with platforms. It's like, I think we're all on edge mm. and don't realize how much we're on edge of like, oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing because we're going to get canceled in my friendships or my church or pastors. I feel for them. Mm. But Matt, I resonated too with what you just said. I have I have a lot of questions on that word faith. I've just realized in my own heart how I, I feel allergic to it, which is probably the sin nature in me, but I'm so afraid right now, probably because of my own pain and suffering from moving forward uh, in faith in um, in ministry world. So I bet we're going to circle back to that one. Uh, we do have a question of the week for next time, and it's pretty much as goofy as the last one because we can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> this comes from me literally making a list on our refrigerator with non-words or words that Matt uses that are not, uh, the use with which he says the words is not the actual definition. So for example, on the regular, Matt will go blurf. Blurf, I write the definition, means to hoist one's pants up. <laughs> <laughs> What's another one, Matt, that you say? That doesn't mean to hoist one's pants up. That's what up. it says. That's the definition I wrote, is no. you go blurf and he goes, ugh, he just like hikes up his pants. <laughs> It's it's usually an expression of feeling overwhelmed or with pant pulling, which not, is not, it, or just that stand, goes with that gesture, or just standing up or like <laughs> requests from the kids. Ugh, blurf. <laughs> okay, a word that is a non-word that I say is a plorp of something. It's similar to the not knowing measurements. It's just like a bit. It's a plorp. A yeah. dash. A dash a or a, 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 an a amount. Plorp. A dollop. How about you, Steve? A plorp you have of one? leaks. A plorp yeah. of Give me leaks. A plorp of leaks and end that out. would really be hard. Uh, I, I, I've, I've got a bunch of these, but I just can't think of any right I know. now. So next time. I will say something I like to do, and I feel like we've talked about this in the past. I do like intentionally uh, mispronouncing certain words. Yeah. Like I like to say, I'm going to go to the library, even <laughs> though I know that's not how you say it. I just like to say, I like to do that sometimes. So guys, we want to know it from you. What's a non-word that you use and what's the definition or what's a word you use inappropriately or misspeak on the regular? You may have to have your spouses or roommates answer this for you because I got a list for Matt. Okay, answer it by following me on all the socials or joining the Hole in My Heart podcast Facebook group. Okay, that's it, guys. Thank you so much to our host, WCSG Radio in Grand Rapids, Michigan, to the Zach of all trades, video guy Zach and his amazing intern Delaney. Thank you you so much and for all of us here at the hole in my heart podcast we'll see you next time Ooh.